One of the great milestones in human history was the domestication of wheat. And this occurred, we are told by scholars who know these things, about 10,000 years ago. And for many years, scholars assumed that the domestication of grain went hand in hand with the domestication of humans, so to speak. That is to say, it was believed that hunters and gatherers tended to be mobile and uh, therefore did not plant crops. And the building of permanent settlements required crops sown in fields, harvested, and stored in granaries and the like. As it happens two years ago, this view received a very strong challenge from a political science professor at Yale University by the name of James C. Scott. Using the most recent research, Professor Scott connects grain domestication to a different development in human history, not uh, the sedentary life, because he notes that sedentary settlements actually can be populated by hunters and gatherers. Settlements do not need grain, but states do. According to Professor Scott, large-scale states, kingdoms, cities, need what we would call today commodities. Commodities, unlike foraged food, which you just find along the way or fish out of the sea or whatever, commodities are measurable and taxable. And the book in which he makes this argument called Against the Grain therefore has a certain libertarian feel to it. Uh, Professor Scott is not an obvious fan of the state, let's say. Large-scale states were often made possible by other problematic institutions like slavery. And so he points out when we look at ruins from states in ancient history, we often think, oh, it's really too bad that this city collapsed. Uh, but it might have been better for many of the people who were at work in that city because they were able to be freed from the domination of the government, as it were. Now. The Holy Eucharist is a product of divine and human labor. And at the offertory, as you know, the priest slightly elevates the bread and the wine in succession and blesses God for the fruit of the earth or the vine and the work of human hands. In other words, bread, which is made out of grain, is a human artifact. It doesn't occur in nature. And when it does appear as a work of human hands, it is accompanied by the consolidation of human resources. Uh, wheat as a wild crop is not uh, very good for foraging, so it really does require that people come together and grow this as a crop and even uh, change its genetic structure so that it's uh, usable for bread. This consolidation of human resources reflects unfortunately in our world, the usual inequalities of the human project. Many of these inequalities are lessened where there is no large-scale state that needs tax revenue and slave labor. From Professor Scott's thesis, we can see bread as implicated in some way in the predations of state and empire. When I read this book earlier this year, I kept coming back to the figure of Cain in chapter 4 of Genesis. He was the first tiller of the ground, he was the first murderer, and he was the first founder of the city. So the author of Genesis was onto something 
the connection between grain and oppression and large political units centuries before Professor Scott. As it happens in today's readings, we have the figure of Melchizedek, who is a more benign figure who presents bread, a king who is a type of Christ, which we'll return to in a moment. But if we go back to Professor Scott's thesis and the figure of Cain, uh, who brought his grain produce to God and his offering was not accepted by God, it might seem surprising that the Son of God would choose bread to be his body. If God is concerned about human welfare, and he is, why would he choose a symbol that seems to be revealed as part and parcel of oppression, political and economic domination? One way to answer this is to call to mind that we use the phrase body of Christ to mean not only the Eucharist, but the church. And the one church is also holy and Catholic, katholos, that is to say, it embraces all persons. In the church there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, rich nor poor. The Eucharist makes the church, in uh, the phrase attributed to Henri de Lubac, and the church offers the Eucharist. They are connected intimately. We see in, in the church and in the institution of the Holy Eucharist that bread all along was meant to unite persons. Paul has these beautiful phrases throughout his letters of how the one bread represents the unity of the church. Bread all along was meant to manifest the unity intended by God, the fruit of human hands, the work of human hands, blessed by God, bringing us together in cooperation. Commodities from this perspective are opportunities for humans to learn how to cooperate on a large scale. It's not easy, as we know. As often happens, we humans jump the gun and we attempt to do things our own way without including God. We try to control the narrative, as it were. And so it has come about that just as we ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge before we were ready, we also started making states before we were ready. And, unsurprisingly, we botched the job, turning the state into a source of discontent and violence rather than tranquility and harmony, which it should be. The modern city and state partake of this fallen human reality, as we all know. I don't have to tell you that. But what's important for us to remember is that they also offer a glimpse for us of human salvation. At the end of Revelation, uh, those of you on the south side of the church can see this, it's a city coming down out of heaven with Our Lady there. Eternal salvation will be as part of a city. This new Jerusalem comes down from heaven and will be our eternal dwelling place. In this place, there will be no exploitation. There will be only the good effects of human cooperation. We will not be ruled by professional politicians, as it were, but by the apostles and the saints. Under the monarch, Jesus Christ, who will make sure that we never go hungry. We taste something of this reality, this eternal reality, every time we come and taste and see Holy Communion. God is in the process of saving us through his Son, but he's using the work of human hands to do it. He's inviting us to participate in our own regeneration. We offer to him in the bread and wine 
a symbol of all the work of our hands, everything we do together as a society. And we ask that God sanctify it, purify it, that it may lead to God's glory for eternity. And today, as we carry the body of Christ out into Bridgeport, let us remember that we who are called to be the church are ambassadors of God's message of reconciliation for all, that our lives together in neighborhoods, in cities, and in nations, these are foreshadowings of the final reconciliation of all God's children. And as we walk together with Christ our Lord, let us learn to see past our differences, past the inequalities, past the rancor and suspicion that beset the contemporary state, and point together toward that realm where every tear will be wiped away, and all men and women from every tribe and tongue will sing God's praises in harmony forever and ever.